From UA Little Rock Public Radio, this is The Art Scene. I'm Daniel Brain. Today, we hear how one fixture of the world of arts and culture in central Arkansas is getting along in the midst of a crisis that's shifted how they, and all arts organizations, do business. Opera in the Rock has been the state's only professional opera company since its founding in 2012. And now they're looking to the future with three works slated to be brought to the stage. But while we're all still doing our best to flatten the curve, you can still enjoy the sights and sounds of the opera right in your own home. Opera in the Rock will show their 2019 performance of Puccini's Madama Butterfly in a virtual streaming event, beginning Friday, June 12th, and lasting through the weekend. This week, we hear from Opera in the Rock executive and artistic director Kate Sain, who talks about her organization's offerings for the future of opera in Arkansas. I would say we're we're sort of moving in a more kind of modern, edgy direction. Um, I wouldn't say it's a total departure, but um, we are presenting um, a traditional large-scale opera next spring, Donizetti's Anna Bolena, and um, then we have a new work, Scalia Ginsburg, which we're all very excited about. And then next year, we plan to present a musical, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, with the Argenta Community Theater. So, um, you know, new opera and a musical are certainly new things for Opera in the Rock, which I'm very excited about. And, um, you know, this is now the um, third season that the company has been able to present a full season in its entirety And we've really done um, some work to try to make some cohesion within the season choices. So that's been interesting to put together. And um, next season is all about kind of legal and political intrigue. And um, we're just excited to see how things play out and um, get these works going. It's seems like a very interesting choice to uh, uh, make your season about uh, political intrigue. Uh, that's obviously uh, something that is at the forefront of, of a lot of people's minds right now, I'm sure. Yeah, we, um, we you know, it, it developed, it kind of was, you know, as things are, sort of came together in pieces. Um, I um, really, the season planning started early uh, last fall in 2019 when um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg came to speak in Little Rock and um, she spoke about the opera Scalia Ginsburg by Derek Wang in her presentation. And after that, I got several messages on Facebook and some emails that, you know, hey, Opera in the Rock should look into this. And I was intrigued. And so I did a little bit of research and realized it was um, an attainable work for us. They have a chamber arrangement. It's a septet um, chamber orchestra, which is good for one of our smaller scale productions. And I also love that the opera is about the friendship between Justice Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So it presents um, a bipartisan view of their politics. The tagline of the opera is actually, we are different, we are one, which I think is very, very relevant. So, um, I contacted Stephanie Street with the Clinton Foundation to see if they would be interested in working with us on this because I thought that the Clinton Presidential Library would be a really interesting choice. And they were on board. So, you know, we've had lots of meetings to try to make it uh, something really exciting for the community. And I think that when that event happens, it's going to be a really 
really big hit. So, you know, we had that sort of brewing. And then at the same time, we um, wanted to bring back the soprano Francesca Mondanero, who had sung Chocho San for us in Madame Butterfly in 2019. And I had communicated with Francesca to explore some works that would be suitable for her voice. Um, and the Anna Bolena was one of those, one of about 10 options we were kind of playing with. And I personally love Tudor history, and it's a beautiful opera. So that was, you know, appealing to me in that way. And then um, the musical, I was, um, I'm a personal fan of. I think it's fun. It's, it's sort of a modern day operetta. It is a Broadway musical, but it's sung with classical voices. Um, it reminds me a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. And when I started thinking about it, it all seemed to come together in a really nice, cohesive, um, cohesive collection of interesting work. So it, it made sense. And um, our board was excited about it. And, you know, luckily we were able to actually get the rights to produce uh, Scalia Ginsburg, which took some, um, you know, maneuvering. And um, once we got approval for that and got the Clinton Foundation on board and that presentation, it all just made sense. So it, it's, it's, it's an exciting season. Absolutely. Definitely sounds exciting, especially with um, Scalia Ginsburg, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that that is, you know, an unconventional topic for an opera um, along the same line of uh, Hamilton the musical. Like, what is an opera about uh, two Supreme Court justices like, essentially? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, um, it was actually... Uh, premiered in 2015. So, you know, we're within the first five years of of this opera um, coming into the public sphere. And it, it's only been produced a handful of times. And um, it's just, it's a really interesting subject. I will say too, I've, um, of course, I've, I've, you know, read through it and I was able to see a production opera Grand Rapids did a production of it uh, right in the middle of March. They were actually scheduled to open when things started shutting down with COVID-19 and they ended up streaming their production because um, they, they canceled it the day before opening night. I was able to see that production in its entirety and it's just really interesting. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a comedy, but it also has some heartwarming moments. Of course, it's in English, which our audiences love. Um, and it's got three cast members, Justice Scalia and Ginsburg. And then the third cast member is called the commentator. And he's sort of the voice of reason between the two political sides. Um, it also draws on a lot of different musical uh, characteristics. It, it pulls some quotes from operas, which are really interesting. And um, it even has a couple of jazzy moments and a little bit of Broadway thrown in there. So it's, it's just a very, very fun work. And we are so thrilled that we have the opportunity to present that. You're saying that this is, you know, a comic opera about sort of a, a serious subject that really, you know, strikes at the heart of the American political landscape, but also it is a comedy. I'm just wondering, what is that balance of the tone of this comical, but also, you know, amiable and heartwarming relationship between these two people, but also the vast political difference between them? Yeah, I think it just, it just, it shows that, you know, despite 
um, our political differences, at the end of the day, there are friendships there that cross those boundaries. And, um, you know, from what I've learned in researching this work between the friendship of Scalia and Ginsburg is they um, they can, you know, leave work at, at the court, so to speak, and, you know, enjoy each other's company outside of politics. They're also both um, opera fans themselves. And that's kind of how this developed as well, because they um, always, you know, attend operas together and it's, um, it's a, something that they shared in common. So it, it just, it, it's a really great message that the, the politics and our differences, you know, can, can kind of stay in their lane and um, friendships and personal relationships can, can proceed without that. And um, it's just, it's just a great message. If I ran an opera company, I would think that this would be one of the trickier uh, shows to cast. You have to find people that look like Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, at least, or you have to uh, at least be very good at uh, makeup or anything. I guess, how much is that uh, factoring into your uh, casting decision? Or is it more about the, uh, the voice or just, you know, embodying the spirit of these, these two judicial minds? Yeah, so you do you do make an interesting point. Um, the characters they they need to look like the real people. Um, so we uh, we actually have this production cast. Um, the singers playing Scalia and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg are both local to Little Rock. Um, Scalia will be played by Matthew Tattis, and RBG is Shannon Rookie. They're both two singers that have performed with Opera in the Rock in the past that we're very familiar with. And we kind of, um, once we got the rights, uh, Joshua Price, the chairman of our board, and I were sort of watching rehearsals over, um, we did the opera The Gift of the Magi in January. And both Shannon and Matthew were in that. And we were sort of watching rehearsals and we looked at each other and we thought, oh, this kind of really works. And um, their voice parts match. Uh, Scalia is a tenor, and um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the opera is a soprano or a mezzo-soprano, so kind of lends to a singer that can sort of go both directions. And as I said, that she has some she has some jazz moments in the opera, so um, you need a voice that can kind of hit hit the lower register, which Shannon is able to do as well. And um, they are also good friends. I just think it's it's a perfect pairing. Uh, we actually, when we announced our season at our gala in February, right before everything shut down, Shannon and Matthew appeared in character in costume to make the announcement, um, and it was quite a sight. They were they were I, I instructed them to be in costume as character, but kind of take it over the top and make it, you know, make it funny. And um, they, they really suit those two characters very, very well. Um, so I'm, I just got lucky that those singers are here locally and they, they work, which is really exciting. Yeah, well, you mentioned that they're both local. Do they have to work on their New York accents to inhabit those roles? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, um, they, they did it. They did a great job of it at the gala. So I think that, I think that they're both very flexible um, actors and will really, really um, play it off really, really well. So, and the role of the commentator, 
Um, I actually have a singer that was cast in our production of La Traviata this May, which unfortunately we had to cancel, who had played that role in a previous production of Scalia Ginsburg. So I'm working with him, although with, with kind of everything on pause, we haven't confirmed that, but he, he's somebody that was coming to sing for opera in the rock and also has the role under his belt and um, very, very talented. Um, that's actually a bass role. So that's a little bit challenging to find as well. Those lower voice male singers um, aren't, aren't as common as the baritones and tenors, at least I found locally. So um, we'll see. I think, you know, I think we've got a great team. And um, I look forward to kind of moving forward with that project. Um, it also is going to be directed by David Ward, who uh, directed our production of Madam Butterfly. He'll be coming back for that. And at the same time, we are launching a children's opera, which we received grant funding to cover from the Rebsman Fund, which we're excited about. The children's opera will be um, the plan is to have it tour kind of throughout the state. And um, David will be directing that as well. So when we get him in town, he'll sort of be an artist in residence for several weeks while he directs Scalia Ginsburg and gets the children's opera up on its feet. Are there any um, potential titles for the children's opera? Or I guess what, what would the, uh, the structure of that be? We have a couple of things we're looking at. Uh, one in particular I'm leaning towards is an opera called Monkey See, Monkey Do. Um, it's very simple. It has a bilingual aspect. Part of the opera is in Spanish, which I think is interesting and great for great for really young kids. Uh, that children's opera was presented by Opera in the Ozarks last year, and we were able to see a production of it last summer, and we think it would be a great choice for us to kick off that program. Some other titles um, we have looked at that have great, um, great short children's operas are Little Red Riding Hood, um, Billy Goat's Gruff. There's, um, there's a lot out there. Children's opera is something that I'm just, just starting to really learn about, but there's, there's a lot to choose from. So we're just um, still kind of sorting that out. Maybe this says something about my upbringing, but I didn't even know children's opera was really a thing. What is? Yeah, that? it's definitely a thing. <laughs> um, like I said, that's that's been learning for me as well. Most of the children's operas are performed by you know older adults or young adult singers. Although we're we're kind of exploring maybe making that program into something accessible for older high school students as well. You're listening to The Art Scene from UA Little Rock Public Radio. I'm Daniel Brain. We're speaking with Kate Sane, Executive and Artistic Director of Opera in the Rock, about plans for next season and their online streaming event of Madama Butterfly, running June 12th through 14th. I think definitely uh, moving away from children's opera, um, Anna Bolena <laughs> sounds like a very, um, like a very heady subject about uh, uh, King Henry VIII and uh, his uh, second wife. I guess how does that uh, translate to uh, an opera in Italian that uh, premiered hundreds of years after the uh, after the reign of Henry VIII? You know, I mean, obviously, historical subjects. Um, are are very very common in in opera. 
Um, we are actually, with that work, we are working with a director named Ella Marchment, who is British, and she actually originally contacted me, um, gosh, it's probably been maybe a year ago or so, that she's starting to explore doing some work in the U.S., and she was sort of taking a tour through the South and wanted to reach out to regional opera companies and had found Opera in the Rock through our affiliation with Opera America. And um, when we sort of hinted to Ella that we were thinking of doing this work, she immediately jumped on it because, you know, with the the tutors being sort of a <laughs> a bedrock of British education, it just really excited her. Um, and with this work, we are planning to, um, we're still in the development stage, but we're planning to keep it, um, it's not going to be a traditional production in terms of costuming and historical period. Um, it's probably going to be maybe even a bit futuristic or sort of timeless in a way. Um, we are working with a costumer who um, is in Memphis, and we've had some really interesting calls with with Ella, who's in York, England currently, and Alex in Memphis to kind of make sort of Tudor's deconstructed. It's very um, kind of a haute couture, high fashion look at the time period. We've got some really, really interesting ideas coming out of those two. So um, I look forward to see kind of how that develops. We really, even though it's, you know, um, bel canto opera about Tudor England, we want to still keep it really modern and fresh. And um, I think it could be very, very exciting. So um, those two are already, you know, already sending me, sending me ideas back and forth constantly and Pinterest boards and some of the imagery that's coming out of, the creative process is really something to see. So we're, we're excited to see, see how that develops over the course of the year. I don't know too much about it, but the gentleman's guide to love and murder, that seems to me like that is very much a period piece. You know, that is a, it's a a modern show, but it, it looks like just upon first glance that there's a very specific sense of uh, time and place in that show. Yeah. So it's, it's set in, um, I believe, I believe it's set in about 1908. I think it's kind of Edwardian England. And it's about um, a young man named Monte Navarro who discovers that he is um, in line to become the Earl of the Dyswith family, which is, you know, a, a lordship <laughs> um, in British culture. And he, um, he sets off to murder everyone that's in line for the title in front of him. Um, and so it, it is about murder, but it's also a comedy. It's very kind of lighthearted and funny. Some of the murders, um, you know, they kind of happen accidentally. Um, he's maybe kind of in the right place at the right time. And instead of helping someone he just sort of steps back and lets these things happen um and it it involves you know um a love triangle between him and two women as well and he's i believe trying to prove his worth to um to both of the women so um and then eventually he 
you know, I don't want to give it away, but, you know, he, he reaches his goal and he, um, you know, it, it all just kind of, it, you know, mayhem ensues throughout and it, it's sort of a romp through British society that's really, really fun. It won the Tony for Best Musical in 2014. Um, and it's interesting because I, um, I'm a big fan of the work, um, but I have, I've had several people uh, express to me that they were not familiar with it, even, even folks that are, you know, in trance and theater. I think it was just very quirky for Broadway, and I think it lends itself really, really well to a small opera company. Um, and that'll be exciting. I'm, I'm a big fan of musical theater, and um, I, the Argentina Community Theater does amazing productions, and we're really excited to partner with them. I felt like for the opera company's first um, kind of foray into a musical, it would help to have um, a partner that is used to doing those things on a regular basis because they they're a different beast and um, they require a lot more, you know, technical things. Um, another thing that's fascinating about Gentleman's Guide is the, the um, family members in line to the, the dice with inheritance that Monty chooses, you know, goes about murdering are actually all played by the same actor. So whether they're old, young, male, female, uh, whatever, they're all played by the same person. <laughs> so you've got an, uh, a character actor that's able to switch gears rapidly, and there's a lot of fast costume changes and things like that. So um, it's it's just really a lot of fun. Definitely sounds like a romp. Um, yeah, it's I, a romp, exactly. <laughs> definite romp. Um, yeah, I think maybe just more generally, when you're you know talking about this show as a musical, um, Again, not to go back to Gilbert and Sullivan again, but I mean, that that just kind of seems like, uh, you know, musicals themselves are a, sort of a new invention. But when you think of like, what is the first musical? That's that's what I go to is like a, a you know, light opera or something like that. I'm just absolutely. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, from your position as you know someone who studied and sang opera, what is uh, the relationship between opera and musicals? Like were, were operas the musicals of their day, I guess, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's definitely a good way to put it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a theatrical experience that involves, you know, music, art, you know, high-level singing, um, a spectacle as much as possible with, you know, set and costumes and things like that. So I think, you know, where, where musical theater sort of veered off is you started having um, dialogue in between the songs. Um, which, you know, you don't get very often in opera, if at all. And, um, but then, you know, there's still, there's still musicals today that are, that are sung through, which, you know, many could consider like an opera. Um, something like Les Miserables, for example, um, I think easily crosses, crosses that genre boundary. So, you know, I don't see a whole lot of difference, but, um, you know, opera today is a very specific thing and musical theater is too. But I think that there's um, a lot of ways that that they can kind of cross sides. And ultimately for me, that happens in the style of the singing. So, you know, an, an opera is going to be sung for the most part by a classically trained voice. And 
you know, musical theater takes a lot of training vocally, but it's different. And um, Gentleman's Guide, the first thing that really stuck out to me is, is it sung in that, that sort of classically, um, classical technique style. And that's, that's what makes it really appropriate choice for, for an opera. Um, another, you know, I know a lot of opera companies tend to, to kind of go for the classic musicals, the Rodgers and Hammerstein and things like that, where um, the singing was much more in that formal style than, you know, a, a big, you know, belting Broadway number that you hear today. As I said earlier, obviously, this is a, a very interesting time for uh, not just arts organizations, but, you know, all sorts of nonprofits across the, the spectrum there. So I understand that you guys are doing something uh, along the line of, you know, telecommuting, teleworking, things like that uh, to get your content out there. Yeah. So we, um, we, we are just starting to kind of, we, we do have several of our works that have been filmed and we're starting to make those available. We have an event planned um, actually next week. June 12th through the 14th, we are streaming last year's production of Madame Butterfly that was at the Arkansas Repertory Theater featuring the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra. And that production in particular, to me, not only was it a really important turning point for the opera company, but it was a very amazing event for the city of Little Rock because we had you know, three major arts organizations combined in this one, um, this one work. And it was phenomenal. We were completely sold out um, very well in advance. And I had many, many people tell me that they, you know, were upset they weren't able to see it. So we are making that available. It's going to go live at 7 p.m. Central Time next Friday. Um June 12th. And before that, we are going to have a live pre-show, I believe going up on Facebook Live um, with some interviews and kind of Q&A with the, um, some cast members, our director and conductor that were involved. Uh, that is actually being hosted by Inviting Arkansas Magazine. And um, they are encouraging people to take this event and really embrace it as something fun to do for the weekend. Um, and you know, they will be posting, uh, having people take, take photos, um, at their watch parties at their house so that they can actually have, you know, party pics from the, um, streaming event night in, um, in the magazine coming up. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, for that, we have registration open at our website at oitr.org. We are going to ask that everyone register. And with registration, there's an option to donate to our Operation Thrive campaign, which is going directly to artists and crew affected by COVID-19. We began that um, after everything shut down in order to compensate our artists that had the, their um, professional contracts canceled due to the pandemic. So we're trying to trying to continue that effort through the summer. Probably a question a lot of people want answered is how can they help our arts organizations now in this time? Everyone is out there trying to um, trying to stay relevant, trying to keep going when we can't 
present in person. So, you know, when you see these kinds of streaming events or, you know, ways to give virtually, um, every little bit counts. You know, the, the, the $5 donation is just as important as the $100 donation or more. Um, we have to continue operating to make all of this art happen. It's, it's, an, it's an exciting time for our organization because we are experiencing growth. But at the same time, we, you know, have been hit with this crisis, as have, as have you know, everyone. And um, we want to make sure that Arkansas still has an opera company when it's all said and done. And at the same time, it's, it's not just about the, the company. It's really about, it's really about these artists and musicians that are out there making the work and putting their time into presenting this for the public. And, um, you know, most of those people, um, you know, they may have day jobs, but a lot of the performers work is, is, um, is affected right now, you know, music teachers aren't able to teach unless they can do it virtually. And, you know, especially the professional opera singers that do rely on these productions um, are really struggling. And we are trying to do our part to help them. And the first step in that was making sure that we could compensate the artists we had hired for La Traviata. Um, And in that vein, we also have made a commitment to try to bring as many of them back as possible for these um, productions next season as, as the plans develop. So we, we want to be able to employ them again in the future. That was Kate Saint, Executive and Artistic Director of Opera in the Rock. She spoke about the newest works heading to their stage, as well as their online streaming event of Puccini's Madama Butterfly. The stream will run from June 12th through 14th, and you can sign up online at oitr.org. That's our show for this week. Please tune in next week at the same time. I'm Daniel Brain, and The Art Scene is a presentation of UA Little Rock Public Radio.